All right, welcome back everybody. My name's Austin. Bitcoin just had its highest weekly close since January 2018. Wow. And let's double check because the last time we had full candle closes at this level, it was during a frenzied, volatile, very unsustainable time in Bitcoin's price history. And since then, we have spent over two and a half years consolidating, accumulating, and yes, we've taken a very small dip today. A 13,000 BTC is at a much stronger 13,000 than where we were for a day in 2019 and for a few weeks in 2018. This is the weekly. Let's double check on the monthly. And even though we still have a few days left in the month of October, assuming that we don't retest an 11,700 Bitcoin, we will have the highest monthly close since January 2018. And by the way, even though we touched over 19,000 for Bitcoin for a few hours, we closed both these months at around 13,800. Not that far off from where we are right now. What does this mean for you as a Bitcoin holder? Keep in mind, I'm not a certified financial advisor. Like you, all I can do is look at the history, look at the trends. But as soon as we close above the monthly, just above 3,800, prepare for a Bitcoin breakout. Prepare for a big Bitcoin breakout. BTC on the monthly. After a monthly close above a prior monthly closing all-time high, price doesn't look back. Meaning in all three prior occurrences, of BTC not passing price all-time highs, but of monthly close all-time highs, there was only one red month until the next all-time high was reached for an average gain of about 13 times your money. If this sounded confusing, let me show you. This is Bitcoin's price history. These blue bars show every time we passed Bitcoin's prior monthly candle all-time high. So not price all-time high, but monthly candle. And you'll notice every time after years of consolidation, accumulation, after we passed monthly all-time highs, there was no red candles until the next all-time high. There was one red candle until the next all-time high. And like I said, averaging out all these three prior occurrences, the average gain was 13x. Watch out for 14k. Watch out for anything above 13.8k. Because even though in smaller timeframes, like today, this is the daily, we are very much correlated to traditional finance, the stock market, the S&P. They dip, we took a little dip. Larger timeframes, like the monthly, we are starting. We are starting to decouple. And after two and a half years of accumulation, consolidation, Bitcoin is ready to break out. Click subscribe right now. As I get more information, I will let you know. By the way, leave a comment. Let me know your thoughts. I want to talk about Harvest Finance and, of course, Ethereum. An update, the Ethereum 2.0 deposit contract, where you'll deposit to start staking, the release is now kicked back until November. So Ethereum developers, hodlers, were thinking maybe it could be this month before Halloween. Well, now, speaking Thursday on the Bankless podcast, Ethereum Foundation researcher Danny Ryan said that the deposit contract won't go live until it receives a thumbs up on an audit of a critical crypto library, BLST, 
performed by cryptography audit firm NCC Group. Okay, nothing wrong with that. I like audits. I like secure smart contracts. And November does sound more reasonable in a direct quote on what they're waiting for. This library, what they're auditing is quote unquote critical to creating keys, signing messages, and critical in early phases means that if you use this library, they need to be secure. If you use it to generate your wallets, it needs to have good randomness. And if you are signing your deposits, which has a signature associated, it needs to be correct. So this is what we're waiting on, very understandable. Ryan finished by saying, given that how critical this library is, and given that if there is a fundamental error in this library, we could F some shit up in terms of Genesis deposits. And that is a blocker. For all you Ethereum holders, just wanted to keep you updated. The deposit contract is looking to be coming in November. And by the way, in terms of phase zero of ETH 2.0, they still say that they are eyeing 2020, so these next few months, for the Genesis block of the beacon chain. So let me know what you think down below in the comments. Next piece of news, waking up to yet another DeFi rug pull, this time with Harvest Finance or their farm token, was quote-unquote attacked. Hmm. Well, first off, what is Harvest Finance? Because it's very new. At one point, when it first launched, it was over $3,000. For the last several weeks, it's been around $230. And after this, the token is going down. So what is Harvest Finance? Harvest Finance is a DeFi yield aggregator similar to Yearn Finance, so it finds automatically the best yield for yield farming. And like others, Harvest also has its own governance token, this one called Farm. But with all these different yield DeFi altcoins, they're all experiments, highly experimental. And with this one, if you hold their governance token Farm, you also receive cash flow from the platform's revenue. This revenue is currently set at 30% of profits. So people were excited. But with Harvest Finance, there are fundamental red flags. Let me share with you. Some were highlighted by independent DeFi researcher Chris Black, who said Harvest Finance, even though it's quote-unquote DeFi, decentralized, has one, one admin key for making changes to the smart contract. And essentially, the owner of this key can perform a variety of changes from strategies to orchestrating a rug pull. Huh. And what just happened? A rug pull. And I'm not saying it was the owner. And by the way, who is the owner? Who is the team of Harvest Finance? Well, there's, well, I guess not anymore. There's no longer 1 billion of total funds locked up. Now there's about half a billion, maybe a little less. Where is this? Okay, yeah, it's draining quickly after this hack. But who owns this security key? Well, it's still an anonymous team. So we don't know who's running this, but people deposited coins to try and get yield, even though one guy can drain the funds. So let's get to today. What just happened in the last 24 hours? There was a rug pull, there was an attack, and Harvest Finance says that it was not them. We will release a post-mortem report within the next 16 hours and work on future risk mitigation strategies against flash loan economic attacks including evaluating insurance options, as well as reparation strategies. Hmm. They have even put out a 100,000 bounty. If you can catch this hacker, you can have 100K. 
What do you think? Harvest Finance finished by saying, for the attacker, you've proven your point. If you can return the funds to the users, it would be greatly appreciated by the community, including many bystanders watching DeFi from afar. Now, even though the anonymous Sushi founders, that guy did end up returning the money, why would you steal it and then return it? Would that ever happen? Yes, I guess in a crazy turn of events, the attacker sent back over $2 million plus dollars to the deployer in the form of USDT and USDC, so stablecoins. According to Harvest Finance, this will be distributed to the affected depositors pro rata using a snapshot. So I guess point is for you, this is just how dangerous, how exciting, except when this happens, how experimental these DeFi protocols are, especially when something has so many red flags, like an anonymous team, like something that's not really decentralized. Now, it didn't stop over $1 billion in assets from getting deposited, people trying to get that yield. But who do you think did it? If the attacker was anonymous, but also that the team was anonymous, this was interesting perspective from Ricardo, or AKA Fluffy Pony, been in the space for a lot for a while. The attacker sent some funds back because they were such nice people. If this isn't strong evidence that the attacker and the devs are the same, then I don't know what is. Now, of course, no way to prove that. In the case of SushiSwap, the main guy was the one that took all his funds, took his ball and went home. So yes, he had incentive to return it because it was sort of his reputation. Why would the attacker return the funds unless they were part of the leadership or were friends with some of the leadership? I don't know. And again, no way to prove it. Everybody's anonymous, but you know what? I will keep you updated. But anyway, let me know what you think. Like always, see you tomorrow.